So on the screen is Charles Weigel, lived 1871 to 1966, a hymn writer, evangelist, and he traveled a lot. And one evening he was at a revival service. He got word from his wife, a, a telegram, and, and she said, I'm leaving Charlie. I don't want to live the life you are living anymore. I'm going the other way. At that point, uh, Charles Weigel shared he left the revival service and, you know, he tremendous grief, even thought about ending his own life. We'll come back to him here in just a minute. James chapter 4, James is sharing about two different pathways. One is to live like the world. And one is to live after the way that Jesus calls us to live. And so James says, for those that choose to live like the world, there's going to be a consequence to that decision. And then in James chapter 4, verse 5, notice what he says, though. If you're wrestling with that decision, do I follow Jesus, follow self? James 4, verse 5 says, do you suppose it is no purpose? The scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit. He is made to dwell in us. That word there, do you suppose it's no purpose? The scripture says he yearns jealously over your spirit. Jealously. We think of that word in a negative context. That's not the context here. What is James trying to say? When you make a decision, when I make a decision to walk in the world, James says, do you suppose it's no reason that we're told clearly God is jealous over us? And he'll pursue us when we go that wrong path to draw us back onto that right path. As John Lowe says, I love God's jealousy. I praise God's jealousy. I take comfort in God's jealousy. I need God's jealousy because I'm continually turning away from him, chasing the world. Rather than meeting my infidelity with weak indifference, God responds with intensely powerful, beautiful jealousy. He pursues me to the ends of the earth. So we stop and say, you know what? When I recognize God is jealous over the spirit in me, he won't leave me to myself. It brings a whole new peace to that decision to follow in sin. To recognize his love is so great that he will pursue us as a jealous spouse that would seek to protect his own. As Justin Steckbauer says, holiness means victory over sin. It's not living with a, a partial faith, you know, that we give a, a little bit of time to it, saying, I want to walk in victory over sin because God is jealous over me to pursue me in my own iniquity and draw me out of that. You know, Barna does a lot of studies in the church, as does Gallup. Barna did a study that's often quoted, and what the study was, how many Americans have a biblical worldview? How many people understand not just what Scripture says, but how to apply it and then apply it to life? As Barna found, you know, we live in a culture, 90% say they believe in God, but how many have a biblical worldview and as his study revealed, 9%, 9%. Now, let's say he's off by double and it's 20%. That is a very, very low number of people living out their faith. 
We want to be those that say, listen, I know God is jealous over me, so I'm going to live in a way that honors him. Here's an example of, you know, religion in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. Jesus here speaking to the disciples, he says, here's what religion looks like. He says, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as hypocrites do in the synagogues to be seen by others. I tell you, they have received their reward. When you give to the needy, he says, do not announce it with trumpets. That word trumpet, some think it's a, a literal instrument that was played for big donors. Others think it, it means they were people that would applaud and make a lot of uh, cheers for somebody. It's also possible, you know, the, the, the chest was made of metal. And so some people would put their money in, you know, throw it so it'd make a lot of noise when it hit the chest. And so it could have been all three of these. It could have been one of the re one of these, whichever meaning Jesus has here. It's clear he's saying for those in religion, they put on a show externally for other people. I'm going to show you what the opposite of that here looks like in just a moment. And we'll take a look at a modern day example of somebody that had tremendous success. But you'll see that he doesn't talk about this type of arrogance. He talks about something very different. You know, the Puritans, they had a prayer. They would pray for tears. That's such a great thing to take and maybe include that in our lives. They'd pray for tears. What that meant is they would pray for, for a real sense of remorse over their own sin as well as the, the sin of the world. And if they didn't have that sense of remorse, they would say, God, give me tears over how I've been living my life. Let me remember that you jealously seek my spirit to be in alignment with your calling. You know, William Booth back in the 1800s, founder of the Salvation Army, challenged people that were in that majority that don't have that biblical worldview. Let his words be a challenge to, to you and me here today. William Booth here, not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible. Hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you. Go to their father's house. Bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. Then look in the face of Christ, whose mercy you have professed to obey, and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstance in the march to publish his mercy to the world. You see, there's plenty of people out there that claim a certain belief, but they don't live it. That's common. Let's be the uncommon that say, you know what? My life is going to be based on Jesus and his calling and his worldview. I'm going to see things like he sees them. I'm going to pray for tears over the sin of my life and in the world. And I'm not going to put on a show that's a religious thing. It's going to be my life. You know, Charles Weigel shared about eight months after his wife left, he, he encountered her saw her on the street and they talked for just a brief moment and she mocked him, he said. She made fun of him. She had no interest any longer in, in walking in Christianity. 
She even bragged about some things she had been doing that uh, very unbecoming. And he would share with friends at that moment he knew that this marriage was, was over for good, but their story is far from over. We'll come back here in just a moment. We often talk about, you know, people do things out of fear, fear of what others think or fear of rejection or fear of the unknown. Let's look at the power of fear. Think about the world, the media, how fear is used to to draw people to a place where they don't operate at their best and they certainly don't reflect strength. See the opposite of that in faith. This is the words here from Moses. He's going to say two very distinct ratios between faith and fear. The first one is about faith. Leviticus 26, 8. Five of you will chase a hundred. A hundred of you will chase 10,000 enemies. So he says, those walking in faith, a hundred will chase 10,000 enemies, whether that's talking about an army or that's demons, a hundred people in faith can chase 10,000. Here's the surprising thing though, Deuteronomy 32, 30, Moses again, this time he's talking about unfaithful people who have walked off that straight and narrow path and compromised their life in sin and how vulnerable they are. Those walking in faith, a hundred chase 10,000. Here in Deuteronomy, he says the opposite. When you walk away from faith, the enemy will put to flight 10,000 with two. The enemy will put to flight 10,000 unfaithful people with just two. What a ratio difference. Faith is 100 pursues 10,000. Fear, two can destroy 10,000. That's why we talk all the time about filling our minds with the, the promises of God and confessing that and speaking that. Yes, you can watch the mainstream media and there's certainly all the fears out there and confusions and people can get caught up in that and feel so defeated. But faith says, I'm going to believe the promises that I serve a God who is jealous over the spirit he's placed within me. And I'm going to walk in his strength. And the fears that are common, I'm going to leave those behind. Fear of rejection, fear of people's opinions, fear of failure. Jamie Walden said, your fear, whether rightly applied or misplaced, is a thermometer of what you believe. It exposes you. It's a great line. Fear, it exposes you. It exposes me. How? Because fear reveals what you truly believe about God's trustworthiness, goodness, and faithfulness. And the degree to which you actually rely on his promises and wisdom. Fear, it exposes you. It's easy to talk about faith on the mountaintop. But it's a different thing when, say, you get a bad report from a doctor. Or suddenly, financially, things are not what they seem to be and you're suddenly getting that stress about paying bills or maybe it's somebody in a relationship that has done something that is unbecoming 
those moments that cause fear. Or when you watch the news, does that fear become something that exposes you that you recognize and say, you know what, I'm not having that faith that I need. And that's a great place to say that thermometer should then be a gauge to show me how I need to change my way of thinking, my way of life. Give you somebody very successful in how they overcame their fear. A great modern day example. John Foley, founder of Peloton. My wife and I, we have a Peloton bike. That's the bike that has the screen. And you can take classes with people in your own home all around the world. There's instructors from different countries. You can pick your favorites. You know, Peloton, $32.4 billion company that you have 1 million daily users, 23,000 people per class. John Foley, he worked for Barnes and Nobles and Skittles, had a great background as a success person. Think about this, how many no's did he get trying to to get backers to this company? He went to over 400 organizations and was told no. Amazing. Now, most people, one no stops them. How many get to two no's, five no's, 10 no's? He believed in what he was going to do to help change people's lives by by incorporating exercise and, and getting ultimate health. But again, if he lived in fear, he never would have got there. 400 no's, but he kept going. It's all about, you know, believing. As Tony Robbins says, it's what you do when you fail that matters, not when you succeed. For so many, they they fail, they give up. You know, or, or when it comes to a broken relationship, they'll say, I tried everything. Really, they tried two things. The reality is you tried everything but what the other person needed from you. Don't let fear be that thing that stops you. Here's what I love about John Foley, you know, 32 plus billion dollar company. He was asked, what do you need for success? Remember Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites that want to announce things with trumpets. John Foley said, two qualities you need to exceed, hunger and humility. Hunger and humility. Having a sense that I can't do this on my own. That's the incredible thing, again, about walking in humility that says, you know what, my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. The Father, he's jealous. He's jealous over me. Love this too from John Foley. For those that are seeking to reach goals, he says this, don't use hope as a method. Don't use hope as a method. Hope is important, but it's not a method. Hope has to lead to taking action. Be somebody that solves problems. Be somebody that brings value to other people in a way that that increases their desire to know Christ more. A.W. Tozer said, nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. Well, think about this. Another word for the first five books of Moses, what is known as Torah, When you hear Jesus talk about the law, you know, he's talking about those five books, the Torah. Write this down. Another way to understand that word Torah, the literal meaning of Torah is the living instructions of the Father. The living instructions of the Father. You see, that's what it is to say 
I follow after Christ. Scripture guides me. The living instructions of my Father. A few years after she left, Charles Weigel, his wife got very ill. She's on her deathbed. She had taken her daughter with her. Her daughter would recount this. The mother said to the daughter, remember the last time she had made fun of him. I don't believe in Christianity anymore. As she's on her deathbed, here's what she said to her daughter. If you know where your father is, please ask him to pray for me and see if God can forgive a sinner such as I. And she dies, and those words get to Charles Weigel. See if God can forgive a sinner such as I. He's going to think hard on those words. We'll see what he said in a moment. Love this here. 2 Timothy 1.7, great word study with Rick Renner. We all know the verse, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. We don't have a spirit of fear. One of power, love. The key we'll look at today, a sound mind. Sound mind in Greek is sophroneo, a compound of sozo and phroneo. Sozo, you've heard me talk about many times, you know, it's the word salvation, saved. But it doesn't mean just saved from sin. That's an important component, but it means saved completely, emotionally, mentally, body, soul, spirit, saved in your health, in your finances, every aspect of life is being delivered from darkness into light. That's sozo. Another way to understand sozo is think about somebody on their last breath and suddenly they are revived with new breath. So you think about if you're drowning, suddenly you reach the surface and get that breath revived like that. That's sozo. Froneo means your intelligence, your thinking, your logic. And as Rick Renner says, if you have fear... God's word delivers your mind, rescues it. All you have to do is grab hold of God's word in his spirit. That's what it is to have not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So here's how this verse could be translated as Rick Renner shares. 2 Timothy 1.7 could read, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love. He has given you a mind that has been delivered, rescued, revived, salvaged, protected, and brought into a place of safety and security so it no longer is affected by illogical, unfounded, absurd thoughts. That's a sound mind. How many people have illogical, unfounded, absurd thoughts and fears influenced by the world around? And the enemy that whispers. So much so that two of the enemy put put 10,000 to flight. But not if we say no more. Because we won't bow to the fears. Fear of failure and rejection and all those things. Scripture gives us that sound mind. Scripture, the loving instructions of the Father. James Madison, the fourth president of the United States, United States said, here's what's better than money. The circulation of confidence is better than the circulation of money. 
how much confidence people definitely need day-to-day in our topsy-turvy, chaotic, uncertain world. You and I should be the ones out there circulating confidence and telling others, you want to know how to have confidence? You find a sound mind by taking hold of the loving instructions of the Father. You fill your mind with that. Suddenly you'll find yourself walking in a new strength and a new life. But it can't be 9% of the culture. We need to get that number way higher. And if we're in that majority that are compromising, understand this. Do you suppose there's no purpose? Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he's placed in you. So John Weigel got word, his wife, she left, and as she passed away, and she'd asked her daughter, if you find your father, ask him to pray for me and see if God can forgive a sinner such as I. It's months later, and he's wrestling at night. He's in tears. He's broken over what happened, and he's in prayer, and he says suddenly he gets this sound in his mind, and he goes to the piano. He plays out some notes. And suddenly some words begin to appear in his mind and he begins to write them down. And there in that darkness, in that moment, what would I say to my wife who said, can God forgive a sinner such as I? The song comes and he writes it and the words become his most beloved hymn. And that song reads as such. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. All my life was full of sin when Jesus found me. All my heart was full of misery and woe. Jesus placed his strong and loving arms about me led me in the way I ought to go. Every day he comes to me with new assurance. More and more I understand his words of love, but I'll never know just why he came to save me till someday I see his blessed face above. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. We found ourselves in a place we never should have been. May we recognize he yearns jealously over you and me. And there's no other friend like Jesus.